welcome to episode four of the Crazy Science Report. I am Tanya Faber. I am the senior science reporter for the Sunday Times, the Sunday Times Daily and Times Live. And today I'm going to be tackling a topic that has been on everybody's lips for the last few days, and that is traffic congestion. Ever since we've gone back to lockdown level one, suddenly the streets are filled up again and people are complaining. Of all the weirdness that has characterized 2020, I think the thing that I'll remember the most is the image of the streets of Cape Town on the very first weekend of lockdown. As reporters, we were asked to go out and take photographs of the empty streets, which is obviously a highly unusual sight for anyone who lives in an urban landscape. And I remember going out on the early part of Sunday evening, just before the sun went down, and I drove around the streets of Cape Town, and it was so ghostly and so weird and so eerie. And I realized that I'd spent years of my life, you know, cursing traffic jams and being irritated by crowds of people and feeling claustrophobic by the sort of swell of the urban population. And suddenly I came across something even weirder. And that was the experience of being the only person driving along this very long stretch of road that goes on for several kilometers. And I think what was extreme about it was not only the absence of other human beings, but also a glimpse into the design and the deliberation behind the city and the sort of spatial development that had gone into it. It's hard to describe. It was almost like looking at a child's playset of a city. You know, it was sanitized and clean and there was nobody there, but there were robots and streets and pavements and buildings and little pot plants outside buildings. So it was like a playset, but sort of scaled up to the size of a real city. And without the people there to show the organic ways in which they use it and abuse it, it just looked like a model of a city rather than an actual city. Then over the next few weeks, as everybody started adapting emotionally to lockdown, or maybe not adapting, I don't know, I suppose it depends on the individual, but at the very least in terms of traffic and cities, some benefits of lockdown were becoming clearer. So the roads were far emptier, there was a feeling of space around you, the air was cleaner, a lot of media reports were coming out about reductions in air pollution. And one began to see that things that we sort of take for granted in a negative way, or should I say, which we don't even notice, suddenly you realize how detrimental they are. And obviously traffic jams is one of them. We notice them, but we've never considered that they could be removed from the picture. And then if you think of that idea and you imagine, you know, not just your little suburb or the city where you live or even the province, but you replicate that imagery of emptiness to the global village and the skies above us, again, you realize how suddenly we were just polluting Earth a lot less and sitting in far fewer moments of congestion and all the rest of it. So just as an example, even though some countries have now opened up in the last couple of weeks, the week of the week that started this year on the 5th of October, the number of scheduled flights worldwide was down by 46.3% compared to the same week in October last year. So just let that sink in. I think that's quite crazy. 
But now we've moved to level one in South Africa and already we are seeing more congestion. I have overheard and been involved in many conversations in the last few days where people are going, oh, the traffic's back again. And I remember once reading a thing that said, you're not sitting in a traffic jam, you're part of the traffic jam. And I think that kind of typifies, you know, the truth about a traffic jam is that we all want the roads to be clear so that we can get from A to B. But everybody feels that way. And so we have to fight our way through the space on the road to get to where we want to go. But all the other cars are there too. And talking about traffic jams, I read this quote while I was doing the research for this podcast. And it really made me laugh. It said, have you ever noticed that anybody driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone going faster than you is a maniac? That comes from comedian George Carlin. So I think... Full disclosure, that is definitely me. I'm often, um, I'm often alone in my car complaining because this one's driving too fast and that one's driving too slow. And yes, possibly several expletives come out of my mouth and I'm sure I'm not the only person. But I wanted to think more about what traffic jams actually are and what they mean and what the science behind a traffic jam actually is. I'm absolutely certain I'm not the only person who sits in a densely congested road and wonders what is lying ahead. I'm expecting that I'll keep driving and eventually I'll get past the point where the trouble has taken place and I will see an accident or maybe there's a body lying in the road or maybe there's a roadblock or maybe a truck has gotten stuck under a bridge and then I keep driving and there's nothing there and I'm left wondering why the hell was there actually a traffic jam? Why couldn't we all just drive in a straight line and get to where we had to go? But there's a very specific thing called a phantom traffic jam, which explains the mathematical principle behind it. And it's really interesting. I think we can all relate to it, even if we haven't ever wondered about what actually causes the traffic jams that don't seem to be sparked by some kind of incident or event. Here, a guy called Benjamin Seibold from a TEDx talk explains it really beautifully. For a phantom traffic jam to form, there must be a lot of cars on the road. That doesn't mean there are necessarily too many cars to pass through a stretch of roadway smoothly, at least not if every driver maintains the same consistent speed and spacing from other drivers. In this dense but flowing traffic, it only takes a minor disturbance to set off the chain of events that causes a traffic jam. Say one driver breaks slightly. Each successive driver then breaks a little more strongly creating a wave of brake lights that propagates backward through the cars on the road. These stop-and-go waves can travel along a highway for miles. With a low density of cars on the road, traffic flows smoothly because small disturbances like individual cars changing lanes or slowing down at a curve are absorbed by other drivers' adjustments. But once the number of cars on the road exceeds a critical density, generally when cars are spaced less than 35 meters apart, the system's behavior changes dramatically. It begins to display dynamic instability, meaning small disturbances are amplified. I find it interesting that a lot of it arises from how we as humans behave individually rather than as a group, thinking and acting in unison. I guess it also has to do with the fact that we're all sitting in these metal contraptions that represent technological advancement, as they say, but yet it's literally a metal barrier sitting between our instinct and our outside world. 
Listen here as a woman called Amy Tatel, a presenter on a science channel called Seeker, talks about traffic jams as being an example of emergent property. I must confess I had not heard of that term before, but the way she describes it really makes perfect sense to me. Traffic is a great example of emergent property, a philosophical term used to describe the phenomenon of many small things compiling to create something bigger. With traffic, it's the many individual cars together forming a complex traffic mess. That's because humans bring a lot of variables to the mix. Basically, it's all to do with the human mind constantly making these assessments while we're driving. How fast should I go? How slow should I go? Should I touch my brake gently now? Should I accelerate? But once again, we see how other creatures with whom we share this planet just seem to get it right. They don't overthink it. They don't respond in the same way as we do. They kind of think as a colony rather than as an individual. And the results are beautiful. Listen here how Tatel describes it. Interestingly, this is a human problem. Ants don't experience traffic jams. They move as quickly in small groups as they do en masse. Bats are the same. They fly in large groups, each one tracking the bats around him with echolocation. They play follow the leader, even if that leader is in the back of the pack, in an impressive display of group coordination. So while I was thinking about all this, I caught up with Andrew Wielden. He's a consultant for an organization called Bicycle Cities, and he consults to the University of Cape Town and government too. You can tell from the name Bicycle Cities that he is all about the bike, but he's also very realistic about what South Africa needs and has been down the rabbit hole of all different forms of transport in the urban landscape and what could and couldn't work in South Africa. We spoke first about the way cities develop over time and how the disadvantages of one mode of public transport become clear as the world changes. Here he talks about trains versus buses, and I find it very interesting because I think one often tends to think that one specific form of transport is the perfect answer versus another one which is riddled with problems, but actually they all have their advantages and disadvantages. The problem with trains is that they're, because they're so fixed, once you put long train lines in and, it's, and it solves the um, transport needs of a community, it's very difficult to change it, whereas buses are far more flexible and you can... Um, so buses did become more of the more of the mode as we moved on, and train lines became more long long haul routes. Even in even in European cities, they became more the long haul, and the shorter haul ones, where when cities were developing and evolving into different spatial plans, you could use buses and trams and so on. Then, of course, we got to talking about the taxi industry. One cannot possibly talk about urban mobility and public transport in South Africa without talking about the taxi industry. Let's face it, it's worth 50 billion rand a year. And often the coverage in the media focuses on taxi wars and those who drive around in their cars complain endlessly about the lawlessness of the taxi drivers. But when you look at it from the other side and you consider that 75% of all transport to and from work, school and universities happens in taxis, you begin to understand why taxis feel like they can drive the way they do because of the sheer numbers of people who they are ferrying around weaving in between big, you know, four by fours and smaller cars that only have one occupant in them. It wasn't always such a dominant form of transport. Even 15 years ago, it was only around 59% of transport that was happening in taxis. And remember also that it was only in 1987 that the industry was deregulated and then exploded to become the main means of transport. Listen to what Wielden says here about the taxi industry. So in South Africa, there was, given the nature of the socioeconomic breakdown of society, uh, there was never the kind of difficulty of having 
thousands and thousands and thousands of cars on the streets because for many of the people that live here there just wasn't the affordability to own them so you perhaps would have one car per family but in many cases you'd have a number of families sharing a car um, or having to use public transport which in the early days pre-taxis was, was, was just buses and trains um, and then as we know in the 1980s the taxi industry really took off um, and then through, through post-democracy, post post-1994 it became a huge big industry. Then we got to his favourite subject, bicycles. Wielden is passionate about the role that they could play in alleviating congestion and pollution, improving health levels and so on, but he's also realistic about the barriers at play in South Africa. We spoke earlier about apartheid spatial planning and the distances people have to travel, and this makes cycling prohibitive for a great many South Africans. But there's also something else at play, and I hadn't actually thought about this. Wielden says that in lower-resourced communities, a bike can actually have a negative connotation in terms of social status. So obviously here we're not talking about people who ride for leisure or in competitions and who have a beautiful bike, which is in addition to a car that they own. We're talking about people using a bike purely as a mode of transport for commuting from A to B. This is what he had to say. Even with makeshift bike lanes that are going in and improved, improved facilities and so on for cyclists, I don't really see that changing a lot. If you're seen to be cycling in some communities, it's well, is that the best you can do? Uh, and if you have the means to something better, you should own a car. Um, and, if you're, and if you're walking, it doesn't carry the same kind of connotation of cycling because you could just be walking to your car. Whereas the connotation of using a bike means that's the best you can do. That is the be-all and end-all of what you have. So what is the actual solution for South Africa? I think many of us have given up on the whole concept of a fully functional and integrated transport system, but we cannot afford to give up on that particular dream. Wielden says that the ultimate for any growing city is a transport system where you buy a travel car that allows you to use different forms of public transport, which are nicely linked together and which run efficiently. That would be an incredible thing for South Africa. Of course, in an ideal world, we would live closer to where we worked and we wouldn't even be looking for solutions about transport. But this is the economy that has developed and the one that we are living with. So until then, we need to hang on to the lessons learned during lockdown and also not give up hope that one day we could actually have a more efficient and integrated transport system. How awesome would that be? I have really enjoyed speaking about traffic jams and thinking about the different possible solutions and if we are even thinking about solutions in the right way. And I only wish that I could hear what you were also thinking while you were listening to this. I'm Tanya Faber, the senior science reporter for the Sunday Times, Sunday Times Daily and Times Live. This is episode four of the Crazy Science Report. Thank you so much for joining me.